0: Uh, would you turn with me in a Bible to Exodus chapter 3? Exodus is the second book in the Bible. So if you open your Bible at the beginning and go past Genesis, you'll get right to Exodus. Uh, we are looking at this uh, sort of foundational book of the Old Testament, uh, the story of how God brought the Israelites from bondage in Egypt uh, when they were in slavery under Pharaoh to belonging to God as his very own people. And that's the big picture of the book of Exodus, and we're just in the beginning, uh, but it's a very exciting story, and so we are looking at one of the uh, key turning points in Moses' life. Uh, So let me read, uh, we're reading just 10 verses, chapter 3, verses 1 through 10 this morning. Exodus chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am. Then he said, Do not come here. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid. the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppress them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Of all the moments and days that have shaped you into the person who you are today, which ones have had the longest-lasting For some people, it might be the day you met your spouse, or significant other, the day you became a parent, the day you were accepted into college, the day you landed your first job, the day you bought a house, or the day you retired. Now, all of those are significant days with long-lasting impact, and in most cases, we would put those days in the category of good memories and happy days. Of course, most of us can also think of bad days. And unhappy memories, losses, breakups, rejections, traumatic experiences that have shaped us over the long term as well. Now this morning we are looking at what I think is the moment in the day in Moses' life that shaped him more than any other. By the time we get to this chapter, Moses has already had a number of high points and happy days as well as a number of low points and sad memories. So, In terms of high points, Moses had completed his education in Egypt. He had gotten married. He had had two kids by this time. As for low points, one day he had killed a man. He had seen a man beating up someone else. And he rightly intervened, but he went too far and he killed the guy. And his own people had then rejected him and then he had to run away. And he had spent many years in a remote place in the middle of nowhere. So Moses has had some significant high points and some significant low points that have affected the course of his life, but on this one day, what happened to Moses would change his life forever. Not necessarily for the easier, but certainly for the better. Of all the moments that shaped Moses into the man he would become, this one was the most important of all. Why? Why? Because here, Moses personally encountered the true and living God. And from that day forward, after he had personally encountered the true and living God, his life would never be the same. And that would impact him more deeply than all the other things that he had already been through in his life. And if you and I have a genuine encounter with the true and living God, like Moses did, our lives will never be the same as well. And an encounter with the truly living God can impact us more deeply than all the other things that have happened to us so far. So this morning, I want us to consider two questions. Number one, how did Moses encounter God? And how how did we encounter God? That's the first question. How did Moses encounter God? Second, who is this God that Moses encountered? So first, how did Moses encounter God? Verse 1 gives us the background. The day started off as an ordinary, unremarkable day. What was Moses doing? Taking care of his father-in-law's sheep. Uh, Now, by this time, Moses had lived in the land of Midian. Uh, He had grown up in the land of Egypt, lived there for 40 years. He had then lived in the land of Midian, uh, which was sort of a remote place, in the middle of nowhere, uh, for 40 more years. However, he was still a man of relatively modest means. Because back then, if you were wealthy, you wouldn't spend your time taking care of your father-in-law's sheep. You'd either be taking care of your own sheep, or you'd have enough money to pay somebody else to take care of your own sheep so you could sit sit back home and relax. But Moses is taking care of his father-in-law's flock. And interestingly, where Moses grew up in Egypt, The Egyptians did not look kindly on shepherds. They despised shepherds. They thought shepherds were dirty and gross. And yet this is what Moses finds himself doing, being a shepherd of someone else's flock in the middle of nowhere. And furthermore, he's taken them to the west side of the mountain, which means he had gone for quite a long journey. Perhaps there was a drought where he was from. He was taking them to the higher pastures in the mountains so they could graze on some grass or get enough water. By the way, this was a very ordinary day, at the beginning. And by this time in the story, Moses was 80 years old. Now, according to Deuteronomy 34, Moses would live a little longer than most of the rest of us. He would live to the age of 120. But still, think about it this way. The most important moment in Moses' life happened when he was already two-thirds of the way through his life on Earth. Now, some of us think, That the defining moments of life happen when you're young, or at least in the first half of your life on earth. But the Bible disagrees. Some people, God calls, and they encounter God as a young child. And some people, like Moses, God calls them, and they encounter God after they've lived most of their life on earth. And yet, either way... This would change Moses' life forever. So it was an ordinary and unmarked day. But in verse 2, there was an extraordinary and supernatural intervention. The angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. Now, this bush was probably a thorny bush, because those are the kinds of bushes that are around in that region. It's a desert region. Um... Not a huge bush, maybe a few feet in diameter at most, and it was on fire, but it wasn't burning up. And Moses looks at this and says, I've never seen anything like this in my life. Uh, This is actually the first event in the book of Exodus that is clearly uh, a direct supernatural act. So far in the book of Exodus, God has been at work, but God has been at work behind the scenes and through human agents. This gives us no indication that Moses had previously heard God's voice or seen any miracles. This is a new experience for Moses. He is seeing something and he thinks, I have never seen anything like this. This completely uh, is out of the box. It, has, it is not within the categories that I thought uh, I would encounter. And so in verse 3, we see Moses was caught off guard his curiosity was aroused. He said to himself, I've got to see what's going on here. Now, you might have noticed in verse 2 that it said the angel of the Lord was talking to Moses out of the bush. Uh, But then, verse 4 says, God called him out of the bush. So, some of you might be wondering, well, wait a minute, who is this that Moses is dealing with? Is this an angel, or is this God? Now, in general, in the Bible, angels are God's heavenly messengers or God's heavenly warriors or uh, who are sent to help and serve God's people on earth. Uh, but when the Bible refers to the angel of the Lord, it's not just talking about one of the many angels who God created and who perform various tasks um, in God's sort of heavenly court. Verse 4 says, The Lord saw that he turned aside to see, And then it says, God called to him out of the bush. Verse 6, God says, I am the God of your ancestors. And then Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at, not an angel, but God. So this passage is very clear that the angel of the Lord is no less than God himself. The Lord himself appearing in a visible, audible, and uh, physical form. If you look at other passages in the Old Testament that talk about not just an angel, but the angel of the Lord, you'll notice the same pattern too. So, angel the angel of the Lord appears in two places in Genesis. First, he appears to Hagar, who is running away in the wilderness, all alone, with her son, and trying to figure out how do I'm all alone and I'm trying to protect my child and how do I do it? And the angel of the Lord appears to her and. At the end of the story, Hagar says, "Truly, I have seen the one who looks after me." She calls God the God who sees. Uh, so, in the story, of Hagar is the angel of the Lord who appears to her to help her. But however, it's really God Himself appearing to her. And again, in Genesis 22, God, the angel of the Lord appears to Abraham. And later on in that story, it says it's very clear it's the Lord Himself. So, then you might say, "Well, wait a minute. If it's God Himself, so why is it called the angel of the Lord? Why doesn't it just say God? So here's a paradox. On the one hand, the angel of the Lord is identical with the Lord, he's fully God. On the other hand, the angel of the Lord is somehow distinct from him. He is God appearing in visible, audible, and physical form in a way that humans can encounter and relate to. So one person put it this way. The angel was not all there was to God, but he was a true and real representation of him. And then he says this. There's only one other person in the Bible who is both identical with God, fully God, and yet distinct from God the Father himself. One who without diminishing God's holiness is able to accommodate himself to dwell with sinners. Now who's that? The Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. So many Christians have read this story and they said, this looks like the Son of God before he became a man in Jesus Christ, but he's appearing to Moses sort of before the Incarnation, in a pre-incarnate form, sort of a foreshadowing or preparation for the day when God, the Son of God would take on our human flesh and come to dwell among us in the person of Jesus in a way that we can hear and see and relate to. And encounter and not die. Because here's the thing. Moses knows. Why does Moses hide his face? Because he's afraid to look at God. Because he knows. What well, Exodus says later on. No person can see God face to face and live. None of us can encounter. the, the uh, God's perfect holiness. It would, it, it would be like trying to fly a plane into the sun. You won't survive. It'll, you'll be burned up. Right? And yet. God is making a way for Moses to truly encounter him, just as he would make a way for us to truly encounter God through his son, Jesus Christ. Alright, so Moses encountered the truly living God. His life is forever changed. What do we learn from Moses uh, from this encounter with God? Well, I think uh, three things. First, you can't manufacture an encounter with the truly living God, no amount of Reading, studying, fasting, praying, meditating, or anything else will automatically produce a genuine encounter with the true and living God. Whenever God reveals himself to people, it's on God's terms, it's on God's initiative, it's by God's grace, it's for God's glory, and often it catches us completely off guard. Moses was just doing his regular, ordinary day's work. We have no indication he was expecting anything unusual and God met him, God revealed himself to him, God took initiative to step into his life, to intervene so that he might know him. Second, you must not expect to have an experience that is exactly like what Moses experienced here. So the point of this story is not that you should Walk out the front door of the church and expect one of those bushes along the walkway to be inflamed but not burning up. Moses is the only person in the whole Bible who has this precise experience of a literal burning bush. So the point is not that whenever you read a story in the Bible, you should expect to have the exact same experience. But, here's a third thing the God of the Bible does graciously reveal himself people, even sometimes when we're least expecting it. And many of you have told me some t- different ways that you have encountered God, that you have felt like I think God is reaching out to me, something in my life that I was not expecting, and that's what brought me here today. And I don't even totally know where this is all leading, but it wasn't something I made up. So here's some examples. Sometimes God reveals Himself through a prayer uttered in desperation that is unexpectedly answered. Sometimes you think, gosh, I didn't even quite know who I was praying to. I just prayed because I was desperate and I couldn't think of anything else to do, and then the next day something happened that seemed to be a direct answer to my prayer. Maybe there is somebody who's listening. Or other people, for other people. It's a verse in the Bible or a story in the Bible. That seems to speak to your particular condition. Or that starts burning in your heart. And you think, wow, that's amazing. The God that, this, that the Bible is talking about. Or just the sense of God's glory and grace that you can't fully explain. Maybe you're you're walking outside and looking at nature. Or maybe there's a person that you've encountered. Someone who in whom the presence of God dwells so powerfully that you think, I don't know how this person got what they have, but I know that what they have is something real, and that they're not making it up. And for some people, that's how they encounter the God of the Bible. Whatever the means, if God graciously opens your eyes to see who he is, if you have an encounter with God in some way or another, what does this passage say to do? Turn aside. Stop whatever else you're doing, and consider what God is trying uh, to teach you. There's nothing more important than encountering the true and living God. And if you come to know the, the God that, this, that the Bible talks about, it will impact you. Again, life doesn't necessarily get easier, but it will be better with Him. So that leads us to the next question. Not just how do we encounter God, but who is this God that Moses encountered? You know, back in the day, people thought there were all kinds of different gods. In Egypt, they worshipped the Nile River, they worshipped uh, the Pharaoh, they worshipped the sun. People worshipped all kinds of things. People had all kinds of different ideas about who God was and what God was like, and they mostly thought there were a whole bunch of them. And you can sort of pick and choose whatever you want. But this passage shows us who is the true and living God who made everything else. So this passage shows us three things about the true and living God. Number one, God is holy. Number two, God is merciful. And number three, God is faithful. So I want to look at these three characteristics of the God who Moses encountered. First, God is holy. You might say, why did God reveal himself in a burning bush that wasn't being burnt up? Was that just sort of a magic trick? A stunt that God was using to sort of get Moses' attention? It's more than that. The burning bush was a visible display of God's holiness. Throughout the Bible, when God reveals his holy character, he often reveals himself in fire. So in uh, Genesis 15, God revealed himself to Abraham in fire, in a vision. Later on in Exodus chapter 19, God comes down on Mount Sinai in fire. And in the New Testament, excuse me, Hebrews 12 says, Our God is a consuming
1: fire. Why does God compare
0: Himself to fire? Because you don't mess with fire. It's attractive. It gives off warmth and light. But it's also very dangerous. And if you step into the fire, the fire will always win and you will always lose. Right? What does God say to Moses in verse 5? Don't come too close. Take off your sandals because the place you're standing is holy ground. Now, God was not saying this particular location is forever holy. And you know why you know that? Because nobody knows exactly where this location was. The Israelites did not bother to preserve the exact location of where Moses saw this burning bush. Okay. The point is not that there are special places like shrines that you should go to and expect to encounter God in that special place. No. The point is, God is a special God, and where he reveals himself, he reveals himself as holy. Uh, so, at first, in verses 3 to 4, God wants Moses to pay attention to turn aside, but then in verse 5, God says, don't come too close, because I'm a holy God. You see, some people think that anybody anywhere can approach God however you wish on your own terms. Some people think we can imagine God to be whatever we'd like to imagine God to be. You ever heard that song, I think I heard it recently at a restaurant or something, what if God was one of us, just a slob like one of us, just a stranger on a bus, trying to find his way home? Let me say this. If that song describes the character of the true God, we will close this building today, I will quit my job before the end of the day, and we will not be here ever again, because we have no hope and no reason to believe anything about the truth, about God. But the God of the Bible is not fumbling around, like we often are, trying to figure it out. The God of the Bible is holy. He's wiser than we are. He's transcendent. He's a consuming fire. And yet, that's not all. Because if God was only holy, then we would have no hope of ever truly encountering Him or being His presence. The second thing we see is that the God of the Bible is amazingly merciful. The burning bush wasn't just a display of God's holiness in the fire. It was also a display of God's mercy in that the bush wasn't burning up. It wasn't being consumed. And it wasn't just the bush that wasn't being consumed but Moses, a sinful human, wasn't being consumed either, and yet he was standing in the presence of the Holy God. Verse 4, we see God's mercy. God calls Moses by name. Moses! Moses! You know, there's only a couple of places in the Bible where God calls someone by name and he repeats that name twice. Abraham, Abraham. Jacob, Jacob. Samuel, Samuel. Jesus says, Simon, Simon. when He's talking to Simon Peter. And Saul, Saul. When he's talking to Saul, who would become the Apostle Paul. God was saying to Moses and to these other people, I know you by name. I'm for you. I'm not against you. Yes, I am holy, and you should not take me lightly, but I am also merciful. And here, God was calling Moses to an important and difficult task, but God was also saying to him, I know you by me. And I am merciful and gracious toward you Isaiah 3, 43, 1 says, Fear not, I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, you are mine. So God is holy and God is merciful, but the third thing God, God we see about God in this passage is God is faithful. What does God say to Moses in verse 6? I am the God of your father. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. God wanted Moses to know that he hadn't forgotten the promises he had made to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all of his ancestors in the past. If you look back in Genesis chapter 46, verses 2 to 4, God had appeared to Jacob before Jacob was, when Jacob was about to take his family from Canaan down to Egypt. And Jacob was apprehensive about this move. He was like, I don't know if we should all go down to Egypt. And God appeared to him and said, Jacob, Jacob, called his name twice, just like he called Moses' name twice here. And Jacob says the same thing Moses says here. Here I am. And then look, God says the same thing he says to Moses in the verse 6. I am God, the God of your father. And God had said to Jacob, don't be afraid to go down to Egypt, for I'll make you into a great nation there. I'll go down there with you, and I'll bring you back again. You see, the way God speaks to Moses here echoes the way he spoke to Jacob hundreds of years ago. When Jacob was bringing the family down to Egypt, God said, I'll go there with you. And then one day, I'll bring you all back. And so Moses could look back and say, yes, God was with us. God fulfilled his promise to Jacob, and he promised to make our people into a great nation. And They multiplied. They had become a great nation in Egypt. And Moses could look back and say, yeah, God said he wouldn't stay in Egypt forever. We've got to go back to Canaan. And now he's going to bring us back. And then look at what God says to Moses in verse 7 to 10. God's telling Moses what his job is. Uh, Verse 7 and verse 9 focus on the desperate situation of the Israelites. Their affliction, their pride, their taskmasters, their sufferings. But then verses 8 and 10 focus on what God's going to do about it. Now, you might read verses 7 and 8, and then verse 9 and 10 and think these verses almost seem to repeat each other. Because verse 9 basically repeats verse 7. But look at these verses. Verse 7 says, The Israelites are in a bad situation And God says in verse 8 So I'm going to come down And help them I'm going to bring them out of Egypt And bring them into a land of their own And then verse 9 says The Israelites are in a bad situation And then God says to Moses in verse 10 I'm sending you In other words, you are going to be the instrument Of my deliverance God said in verse 8 I'm going to do it But in verse 10 God says I'm going to use you and I'm going to work through you to do it. Now, next week we're going to look at how Moses responds to God's call. And just a little preview, Moses is not 100% ready to come on board.
1: We'll see that next
0: week. But where I want us to stop today, because today I want to focus on God's call and who God is. Right? Think about this theme of God's faithfulness. Moses was facing a new and unprecedented challenge. He had to uh, deliver the whole people of Israel who were being oppressed and enslaved in Egypt. If you read the whole book of Genesis, Abraham didn't have to do that. Isaac didn't have to do that. Jacob didn't have to do that. They were just in charge of sort of a large family. And now Moses was being given a bigger task than anyone had undertaken so far. But God was saying to Moses, remember what I've done in the past. Even when you're facing a new and unprecedented challenge, look back at what I've done in the past and remember that I'm going to be faithful to my promises to you just as I was faithful to the people back then. And you know, this is why it's so important for us to learn what God has done in the past. This is why we're studying not only the New Testament, but also the Old Testament. We're studying the Book of Exodus because we want to see what God did for his people way back then. A long time ago. And, and as we see that God is faithful to his promises, then we will grow in wisdom to face the new and unprecedented challenges that we are facing right now. Right? You might say, maybe you're facing some challenges in your own life, and you're like, gosh, these are bigger than anything I have faced so far. Or maybe you look at the world and you think, how do we live in a world where artificial intelligence is becoming more and more an influential thing. How do we as Christians sort of discern what's good about that and what could be helpful about that and what's dangerous about that and what should we resist about that? No previous generation has had to deal with that question in the way that we do now. But guess what? By looking back at what God has done for people, even long ago and far away, we can see the character of God, that God is faithful and that God can help us with whatever challenges you're facing in your personal life, and with whatever challenges we're facing as the church trying to be a faithful witness of Jesus in our world and in our culture. God is holy, God is merciful, and God is faithful. And once you encounter him, and he comes to dwell in you, guess what he wants to do with you? He wants to make you into a burning bush. Someone in whom the Holy Spirit dwells. And yet, by God's mercy and grace, we are not consumed. So that other people would look at us and see, wow, the holy presence of God is living in you. And you understand God's mercy. And so you can express that mercy to others. And so other people would get to see our holy and merciful and faithful God. Let's pray. God, we thank you. For how you revealed yourself to Moses on such an ordinary day when he was doing his regular work, when he was even in the middle of nowhere, perhaps his life seemed to be at a dead end, and yet you were calling him to something that he would never have anticipated. But we thank you that you are faithful, that you equip those whom you call. We thank you that you're merciful that you don't consume us. And we thank you that you're holy because because you're holy, you are worth worshiping. And because you are holy and, and righteous, you can help us and, and we can rely on you and we know that you are strong. We thank you for sending your son Jesus Christ not to be the perfect expression of God's holiness and God's mercy and God's faithfulness. We thank you that when we look at Jesus dying on the cross for us, we see that uh, the... Your, your righteous requirements were met, and your mercy was poured out. And because of Jesus, we can trust and rely upon your faithfulness. So help us. Help us to encounter you, to be changed by knowing and walking with the living and true God day by day. We pray this in your holy name. Amen.